demand equality. We demand justice. The revolution will not be televised. Action speaks louder than words, and we got that action. Let's go. I want my freedom, my justice, my future filled with substance. Want my freedom, my justice, my future filled with substance. Bump you, bump you, bump him and her too. Bump you, bump you, bump him and her too. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the No Justice, No Peace podcast with Racial Justice Now director, H.A. Jabbar. I am your host, and today we are discussing all things education justice. We're here with the brilliant Carolyn Lowry and our councilman, the great Will Jawanda, who is doing what I would consider the unthinkable. We've taken that stance here in Montgomery County, and we've been doing it for the last nine years, calling for police-free schools. And our county councilman here in Montgomery County, Maryland, has been bold enough to say that he supports police-free schools. And so I've been watching you, Councilman Jawando, um, on various podcasts, on various interviews. I think it's very clear that you've uh, taken this stance. And what I really want to know, I just really want to get down to the nuts and bolts. I really want to get down, as they say, the nitty gritty. What does the community need to do? What kind of changes need to be made? How can we go after? Let's just dive right in. Well, thank you for having me and for all of the work that that you all have been doing for a number of years and for Carolyn and your work and your various capacities. And, you know, this for me is about how do we create the most supportive and learning rich environments for our students. Uh, You know, schools are places of learning. Uh, They should be places of sanctuary where our students feel supported and where they feel safe. And that is what we should be focused on. And so my position on the removal of SROs has been predicated on that premise that we want all children to feel safe and feel supportive and have supportive adults where they can learn and grow and thrive uh, and be their full selves and achieve their full potential. And I think everything we do budgetarily, policy-wise, should be focused around that. And we know that there are proven ways that are uh, based in research and data that support those better outcomes for our students. You know, there are things like wraparound services and access to high quality instruction and after school programming. And, and we know one of those also is uh, not having disproportionate contact with the criminal justice system, right? And so I think when you look at what the goal of schools are and how we spend very limited resources, right? Particularly now as we're facing a tough economy and uh, we have many tough decisions to make every year as we decide how to spend the, you know, almost $6 billion budget in Montgomery County, a large portion going to the schools. Uh, the SRO program, the $3 million is funded through our police department. So for me, it's not a values judgment necessarily on are the, you know, 25 or so, 26 or so individuals who serve as school resource officers bad people. I don't think they are. I know many of them. I think they're good people and they care about kids. For me, it's a matter of how do we make sure we, as a policymaker, get the best bang for our buck and invest in the things that are most likely to support positive outcomes for all of our students, particularly for our students 
of color, for our Black students or Latino students who have had disproportionate contact with police and have had other challenges that they're dealing with and trying to overcome. So, so I just wanted to say that because I think that often gets lost in the in the conversation about you know this this SRO conversation. For me, that's the primary objective. And when you layer on top of that, when you look at that, there's disproportionate arrests and and disproportionate negative outcomes as far as black students and students of color, that makes it even an easier decision. And so I think part of how we get it done is making sure people understand that premise, that there's better ways to spend this money in support of students. I think that's a critical part of changing the narrative around this issue and and getting away from the sensationalism of it and decoupling it in some respects from this larger police reform discussion, which is important, and there are connections. But I think this is primarily about how do we best support our students? And when we have a a nurse-to-student ratio that's one of the worst in the region, a counselor-to-student ratio uh, that's not much better, those are areas where we need to focus that $3 million. And really wanting to focus on some of the solutions and some of the, the things that we can do to do exactly what you said, you know, make schooling a place where all of our youth are thriving, um, particularly our brown and black youth. So can you talk a little bit more about some of these underlying assumptions that um, you have heard around this conversation that are preventing movement forward? One, I think some people see it as an attack on law enforcement, right? And it's not. And there are certainly change, changes that we need to be, be made in law enforcement. But this is this is really a prioritization of student needs and how do we spend our money in the best way. So I think that's one false assumption. And it's easy to get caught up in this, that, you know, that they're all police officers in schools are trying to harm students. No, no, that's not the case. But there is harm that it happens, too. So I think you need to acknowledge that as well. And it's happening in a disproportionate way. I think not everyone understands that, the disproportionality, which is important, of the harm, but also that no one is saying that there should, they're not, at least I'm not saying, that there isn't some sort of programmatic way to have police involved in schools as far as like, I think it's good for students to understand the role they play, what resources are available to them. You know, if there's if there's a program or some sort of, you know, town hall or, you know, conversation where students can get in, be in dialogue with police in a formalized way, that's a good thing. But to have the enforcement aspect of policing be present in schools all the time, and this is not what we want, and particularly when you have these needs in these other areas. So I think there's some false assumptions. And again, like I said, this is not a dispersion on the people who are in those roles. I actually, it's been said also, well, we need them there them, the SROs, because you don't want to have the beat cops coming into the school dealing with the kids because they don't have the same sensitivities. And I actually think that's true. As far as the SROs, will, most of them, for the majority in here in Montgomery County, will have a, a better understanding of the school climate and the, and the students. But that's not a reason <laughs> that, you know, we should be fixing that other problem. If we are saying that our patrol officers cannot respond in a responsible, respectful, and calm and appropriate way to schools, that's a larger issue that we have. And I think most people are saying that that's the case. And so I think we need to question that premise and say, well, if that's if we have those issues, then we have some issues. And how do we address that problem and not not just say we want to 
allow the less bad option as opposed to fixing what's the core of that issue. So when we were in school, and I think you went to school in Montgomery County as well, yes? Elementary school, yeah, at uh, Oakview Elementary, yeah. You went to Oakville. Okay. So I went to, um, for high school, it was a public school, it was at Kennedy. When I was at Kennedy, we did not have police officers in school. And we certainly had incidents where police might have been required. You know, it, it would have been the case where people could have argued that police should be in schools, but we never did at that time. And, you know, we lived. <laughs> we lived. And many of us were not part of the school to prison pipeline, I think, because of that. And discipline was handled in a different way. So uh, I guess this is a two-part question. How did this program start and why do you think it started? And I know there are probably some official reasons why it started, but what are your your reasons or what do you think um, about why this program started? And then how is race a component of part of this conversation? And I think it's important context that you laid out at the beginning to say that, like, you know, this has not always been, this is a relatively new occurrence in Montgomery County Public Schools to have police in schools. Mm -hmm. And as the SRO program in general came out of this desire for improved, at least a stated desire for improved police community relations, but also, and then that kind of morphed in the eras of mass shootings into the school safety acts like that we have in Maryland, the state of Maryland and other states where kind of a knee-jerk reaction rightly so, to the abhorrent tragedy of school shootings, whether it be college or uh, elementary or high school or middle school level shootings that we've had, uh, where you've had loss of life, wanting to, out of the very understandable, and as a parent of four young children, desire to keep kids safe in school. And so I think you had the confluence of those two things, but always in, in schools, whether police were there or not, I think it's important to step back. Police have been used in the black and brown community as a state-sponsored tool of suppression for most of the time that they've existed, right? Or at a minimum of keeping people in line or in their proper role or place in all the biases and things that we know exist and stereotypes around children of color that have been, you know, shown through research and that we see on TV and all those things that are in society as a whole are obviously present in the criminal justice system and in our, in our policing system. And so it puts children in particular harm when you combine those, those things. And, and I think you, and so what you see is very disparate outcomes and what was intended to be a well-meaning, you know, police to get to know friendly, you know, Mr. Good guy cop to get to know the students which kind of changed into keeping the school building safe in the eras of mass shootings, which we know it's not necessarily going to do that. You know, there's actually more research around physical security and training of staff that helps keep buildings safe. And so I think that's the kind of progression of it. But all throughout that, whether the police have been called in from the outside or have been present, there's a consistent through line of disproportionality and reinforcing of the school to prison pipeline and the arrests of students of color and the over criminalization and over disciplining, which are connected to, which I hope we'll talk about, you know, the discipline side and the, you know, arrest incarceration side. But so I think that's kind of how it's developed. And now it's almost in a place where 
when we need our schools to be safe, there's a lot of, you know, there's gang activity of this and that. And it's used as a way to just say schools are safer and without a lot of critical analysis into how they're safer or measures and outcomes and uh, and the outcomes we do have as far as arrests are, are not good ones. So, so I think that's, in my view, how it's kind of developed. Something you said uh, really struck a chord with me. Um, critical analysis. I'm a very critical person and I'm critical of things that I care about and places that I care about and issues that I care about. And one of the one of the reasons I got into this work after college is because I noticed that there's a disconnection between research and data and policy and practice. And we never can seem to get it all together at the same time in an appropriate way that actually benefits the communities we're trying to help. And so I guess I'm setting that up to say, what are some of the policies and practices you have seen that you like around this issue that really focus on enhancing the experiences of brown and black children in schools? So are there jurisdictions that uh, you have seen that have done work that you like, or are there schools or counties or districts that have practices that you have seen that you think work very well? I want to start by saying that, look, I think Montgomery County, the one of the things that gives me so much hope about this area in our school system is that we have a lot of good things going on. The key is how do we make sure that every student, regardless of their school or their level of income or their race and ethnicity, has access to all the great things that we have going on here and that it's equitable. I do think that, you know, some of the things we've started to do around restorative justice and extended day and extended time uh, in certain schools are really good directions to go in and changing the way we think about school discipline. I think that has resulted in less suspensions and expulsions over the last couple of years. We don't have it fully embedded and system-wide yet. You know, we're a large system, so that, you know, that kind of culture shift takes some time and and new people and new training and all those things. And obviously in the era of COVID, you know, we've we've had a lot to deal with. But, you know, so I think doubling down and on restorative justice practices on extended day and extended year in, in high need and high and low income neighborhoods and communities where we know our kids need extra help. The community schools model where we have some that yes. are you know, have wraparound services like healthcare centers that, and supports for the family and where the school building is a hub. I think those are really good practices. You know, on the safety side, you know, I think there are programs in Oakland that we've looked at around really reimagining what our school safety officers and, you know, kind of security guards, what their role is and, and what they yeah. do and how to improve their training. And because they're really on the front lines, as I talk to students, of really addressing the real critical issues, the interpersonal issues that happen in school with kids and and are going to happen, whether they be fights or whatnot, and how do we improve their training, and as well as everyone in the school building uh, to, you know, think about the whole child and and not have uh, assumptions about certain kids and, you know, have you know, these disparate levels of discipline referrals and calling of police, et cetera, because I think that's a, that's a critical component of it too, is how are we looking at what the teachers and administrators are doing and actions they're taking that lead to police and or unnecessary police interaction. And so I think there's some, some work that we can do there and learn from others that are trying to improve and innovate in those areas. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, Oakland is like, I don't know, before Wakanda was a thing, Oakland was my Wakanda. <laughs> um, as an organizer, they're generally very progressive in how they bring people together, how they organize, how they bring people together to move policy and to move practices in their community, you know, and they're home of the Black Panthers. So that's right. That's <laughs> I, right. I have high expectations. <laughs> exactly. Wakanda forever. Shout out to Chadwick Bozeman in heaven. May he rest in peace. May he dance in peace forever. So one of the things that you mentioned, or one of the things you were just talking about is around policy and practice and the coordination of all these things. What role does the Montgomery County Council have in uh, making decisions for schools or around schools, particularly around the SRO issue? You know, we have a system not unlike others in other parts of the state in the country where we have an elected school board, which is elected to decide the policy and how to allocate the budget that the county council, which is also obviously duly elected, and I'm, I sit on, gives to the school board for uh, purposes of educating our children. And so the SRO program is a little different in that that money for that program is paid through our police department, which we control the budget fully. And there's an MOU between the school system and the police department about how that operates. And Can you say what an MOU is for those who yeah, may not sure. know about that? A, a memorandum of understanding, basically an agreement on paper between the school system and the police department about the rules of engagement and when police can come in and what their role can be. And, and I know the school system is looking at how they need to update that and, you know, and, and make it a little more defined because we've had some situations that were not necessarily covered under this, like Miss Kelly's son with the toy money and that, and being able to talk to or interviews or slash interrogate students without parents present, you know, that there's the things that needs to be worked out. And I know the school system's aware of that, but we allocate the budget. I'm on the education committee that does that for the school system. The school board decides how to spend it and what the policy is, but SROs is a little different. And then what it's reason I took the approach I did earlier this year as part of the savings plan, because revenues are not what we expect them to be in this pandemic and recession, that one of the ways that we can save, particularly because students in MCPS are not in school, and because of the disproportionality in the arrests, and because of budgetary constraints and where we need money in other places, this is a great opportunity to accomplish a few things, both policy and budgetary at the same time. And I propose that we would remove first in committee to remove all of the SROs. When I found out that, that wasn't going to fly, I, 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 was try, I tried to moderate and see if I could gain some support around removing half. And that did get us four votes on the council of the five needed. So I think that's progress uh, to your earlier point. I suspect that we'll have future savings plans. And so we might have another opportunity to come back yeah. and try to do this again. That would remove the money, which would make the school board's decision more focused, which I think they could focus on what's next. What do we do? Where would we spend that savings? And then how do we adjust our current programming to make sure we're addressing legitimate concerns that parents have around safety, you know, looking at different types of models. And and I know the school board is looking into that. They've directed the superintendent to look into different models, which is good. Uh, I think that's so why I think it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship that we need to work together it's the school system's role to, to determine what's next. We can certainly make suggestions and then 
they can come to us for the resources. But uh, I think as a policy matter, the SRO program is we decide as a county council what our police officers should and should not be doing. And that that is a policy decision for the council, uh, obviously working with the school board. But I think that is a proper role for a decision for us to make. This leads into my following question. How do you manage this urgency? There is real urgency in the community to deal with some of these challenges around race and racism, particularly when it comes to police and particularly when it comes to police in schools. You know, I think what I know as an organizer, parents will go all out for their children. I mean, this is something that is just, uh, there's so much fear. Righteously. So how do you manage as a council member uh, this urgency that is in the community? And, you know, you're hearing every day incidents about kids in schools and SROs that are just heartbreaking. How do you manage this urgency with the pace of uh, creating policy? Yeah, well, I think this moment in time, the pandemic and the, you know, awakening that's happening as a result of the death of so George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey and so many others, we are at a unique moment in history where I think some significant change is possible and there's a lot of things convening and converging at the same time. Uh, that being said, I think reminding ourselves of like the first principles, right? No matter who you are and where you are on this issue, to your point, everyone wants their child to be safe. Everyone wants their child to be able to learn and to be Uh, encouraged and to be loved. I think it's important to start there because if we forget that, it's easy to devolve in the heat and, you know, this person's bad and this is what's happening. Then let's have a conversation about how we do that. And then in that context, we're not going to agree on every strategy, but at least we're coming from a place of wanting the best for our students and for our schools and everyone in those buildings. So I, I try to start there. And it's not, it's not always easy because, you know, the moment we're in and the leaders we ha- the leader we have at the, in the White House right now, that whole conversation is negative and, div- and divisive. And I think we need some empathy right now. We need like radical empathy. And if you're a parent of a black child, you know this, and I know this as a parent, but if you're a parent of a non-black child, you, your kids go to school and have friends. You need to try to put yourself in the shoes of those kids and those parents in those situations and try to really hard to understand that. And I think if we do that, we can come to, they're not going to be easy decisions, but we can at least have people understand where people are coming from, which will help us, you know, move forward. So I, I try to, and I don't always do it well, but I'm, I'm trying to bridge that conversation at the same time, looking at the data and making the, the tough decisions that we need to make And budgets are about resource allocation and where we can spend the money most effectively. And, in support of our goals. And so that's why, again, it's important to agree on the goals and then use data to talk about what's happening and then uh, move forward. So I think we're seeing that change because a lot of people are waking up to, oh, wow, things aren't like I thought they were. And and I think that's important. And, you know, we're going to have a town hall later this week yeah. talking about what police data is, which I guarantee you many people don't know what's going on in our police data. So you have such a unique perspective as a, as a council member, so a politician in our county, but also as a parent and as a black man. I can imagine um, there are lots of sleepless nights you have. <laughs> so the last, the last question I have for you is, or really it's just a statement. What do you want people to know about this conversation, about the legislation you will put forth? 
um, about where it's going or what you see in the future for this? Well, first again, thank you for having me. I, I want people just to one, look at the data, the disproportionality in the arrests. Think about the moment we're in. Uh, think about the mental health of our students. You know, all three of the last school board members uh, who are, you know, African American, Indian American, and white American, all three agree that this program needs to end. Listen to our students, the vast majority of them. Uh, they were elected by their student bodies, and that doesn't mean every student agrees, but I've talked to many. Let's focus on what our students need most. Certainly, keeping them safe in school is high on that list. There's not one way to do it. I think there's better ways to do it, and that's what this conversation's about. And then let's get to the work of providing the supports and reforming our public safety system and policing in general so that it's safer for our students and families once they leave school, too. And remember that this is connected to a larger story. And so I would just say, again, think about we want our schools to be welcoming, safe, where caring adults are teaching our students. That's what this is about. And how do we best get that done within a budget where you have to make choices? And I think that's the context for this conversation. If if we start from there, I think we can get to a good place. It's a great context to start from. Um, Council Member Jawando, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate the work you're doing in our community, truly. What a time to be in politics. <laughs> um, so thank you for your work, for your resilience, and we look forward to continuing working with you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, and I'll talk to you soon. Have a good day. I'm a yelling with my fist up in the air. I love my dark skin and my nappy hair. Crooked politicians see him everywhere. Bump 45, we know that he don't care. To the system, cause y'all never treat us equal. Dirty cops, why y'all killing all my people? Hold the lies in the history they teach you. A black mind is a weapon and it's lethal. If you don't like it, cause this is a revolution. I can take a knee, it's in the Constitution. Mouth rush, more was scoped by the clan. With my fist up, I'm screaming, bump the man. I want my freedom, my justice, my future built with substance. Want my freedom, my justice, my future built with substance. Bump you, bump you, bump him and her too. Bump you, bump you, bump him and her too. I want my freedom, my justice, my future built with substance. Want my freedom, my justice, my future built with substance.